And you know, when you, when, you, when you prepare a sermon, sometimes you go, oh, everyone knows this. It's not going to bless anyone because it's just too basic. But actually, it's not, it's truth. Uh, thank you for all coming magnificently dressed. Um, if I appear to pink up during the course of this, it's either the anointing or the warm glow that only 100% polyester can, <laughs> uh, can produce. <laughs> Mafting already, uh, but there's all sorts. You've, yeah, good old word there. You've got some. You've got this like Andean Christmas thing going on here. I like it. You know, we've got we've got Daniel's doing his bit for Coca-Cola as well. Bit of advertisement as well as Christmas. Okay, that's good. You've walked through a Christmas tree on the way in. It's got the full baubles and all sorts. You know, and I like this like Hawaiian Christmas fusion thing that we've got. Uh, going here. It's amazing. So you all look wonderful. Uh, it's a strange tradition, isn't it? Christmas jumpers. When did when was that a thing, Marion? When did it become a thing? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not become a thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but Christmas, it's a it's a it's a it's a lovely time, isn't it? And some people love Christmas. Who loves Christmas? Okay, anyone like a bit like? Mm, it's all right. Yeah, there you go, Rich and Mario, James, there you go. Okay. Um, and like, what, what is it sometimes about it that makes you think, <laughs> <laughs> Holidays, I've got to spend time with the family. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of trappings of Christmas, isn't there? Yeah. Rich is pulling a face at me. What, what do you like about Christmas? Fuss and nonsense. All the fuss and nonsense. You can see we have fun in our household. <laughs> uh, all the fuss and nonsense. But, you know, like, the reality is we can lose a bit of sight of Christmas, can't we? You know, Ban Curley talks about the, the reason for the season. You know, Bruce used that, word, that phrase repeatedly last week. You know, and the reality is we do sometimes lose sight of the basic, clear, fundamental message of Christmas, you know? And like today, I feel like has pulled us back to that. And fundamentally, it's, it's just that God's love and grace and mercy was made manifest yeah. for us. That's it, you know? And I'm not gonna do a Christmas sermon because, um, because Rach is doing one next week and if I say too much stuff, she'll kill me. Uh, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. So, so, but actually, Christmas is our launching point. God's grace and love was made manifest for us. Matthew 1, verse 20 to 21 says, But he had considered this, speaking of um, Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's, that's the truth. That's the truth of Christmas. That's the full truth. That's the total truth. That's everything we need to know. And it could and it should shape our lives. The truth of God's love for you should shape your character, it should shape your heart, it should shape your mind. The gospel was revealed to us at Christmas and it should shape who we are. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about do we have a, a gospel-shaped heart? 
Do we have a gospel-shaped mind? Do we have a gospel-shaped character? Because Christmas and Easter, they give us the opportunity to reflect on that. Have you got my first picture? Does this work? Look at that. I spotted this yesterday. I'll give you a second. I just, I just saw it and it made me smile because, oh, Rich can't see. Yeah, see, you do need glasses, spec savers, we're wrong. We, we need sound theology. We need truth in our lives. We need truth, not just to take a load off our minds, but we need a tru- the truth to shape our lives. We need truth to shape our future and we need truth to shape the future of our nation and of our world yeah one timothy paul uh, in one timothy paul speaks of sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel you know we are in a satur- information saturated society we've got everything coming at us there's every podcast there's youtube there's every different uh, interpretation of the bible there's there's just information overload and the reality of it is quite a significant amount of it is just interpretation you know my mobile phone carried out interpretation this morning i as we left the front door it sort of went like it does and the map function had kicked in and it said 14 minutes so it knew Every Sunday morning, at whatever time I'm leaving the house, it knows where I'm coming. And it says it's going to take you 14 minutes because traffic's light. Do you know where it told me I was coming? KFC. (laughs) So my phone has interpreted my movements. As every Sunday, at the same time, I go to KFC. And there's truth in where I'm travelling from and to, yeah? But there's interpretation of what my actual destination is and the truth of it ain't quite right, you know? And we, we need the undisputable truth of God's word in our lives, yeah? And I love that term, sound doctrine, that conforms to the gospel because we don't like the word conform, do we? No, we see the word conform in a real negative sense. We see it as restrictive. We see it as something that's uh, put on us that was going to constrain our growth, constrain our movement, constrain who we are. We want to do our own thing. There's a bit within us that wants to do our own thing. We want to be a maverick. Yeah? Do you know where the word maverick comes from? Not Top Gun. (laughs) I knew. I knew it was about to come. Not Top Gun. Okay? There was an American pioneer, cowboy. All right, called Maverick, and he didn't brand his cattle. And his cattle just went wherever they wanted. There you go, fun fact. <laughs> but we don't like conformity. We want to throw off conformity. We want to be individuals. We want to um, go our own way. But actually, the, the end destination of complete individualism is anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. That is sociologically proven. The end of complete individualism is anarchy. And actually, we, we, we have a society that is very much based around individuality. Yeah? But actually, the gospel tells us that there is a conformity we're meant to seek. A conformity to his truth. And then this is the, uh, one of those wonderful Bible paradoxes. It's see you later, Tigger. Um, that one of the... That is the 
Yes, baby suit, that. Um, the, but the, the, one of the paradoxes is we, we actually we get freedom, don't we, from the conformity. Yeah. You conform to the gospel and it brings freedom. You know, but we hear the word conformity and we, share, we shy away from it. We, we shake from it. But actually, if we can really grasp the truth of God's teaching, if we can align our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, our lives to his word, if we can conform to the gospel, then actually we have freedom and we're going to be blessed and be a blessing. Because think about what's the opposite of conform. Stu. Nonform nearly. Deform. So we don't like the idea of conform. Do you like the idea of deform? Would you rather be deformed? Would you rather be deformed? Or would you rather conform to the truth of God's word? Yeah? That's a challenge. Because some of us, I do. Somebody at work, uh, about three weeks ago, went, right, you need to. And inside I went, no, I don't know. I was going to do it anyway. No, I'm not. <laughs> you, you needed a please in there. You, need a, you needed a could you in there. But don't tell me you are. <laughs> not happening. And then I had to like shake myself a bit because it was, a, it was the right thing to do. But there was a bit in me that was like, <laughs> don't tell me I have to conform. Don't tell me what I have to do. Yeah, but to conform to the gospel means we're going to be shaped by the gospel. So what is the gospel? So it's over 90 times in the Bible, in Greek, evangelon, evangeliso, to bring good news, all derives from the Greek angelos, messenger, so to deliver good news. So being shaped by the gospel means part of our role is to deliver good news. Yeah, evangelos in ancient Greek uh, was a message of victory. It was a message that was meant to bring joy. All right, so if we're going to conform to the gospel, we should be living victorious, joyful lives. And again, our perspective is important here. I know Tigger just left, all right? But like sometimes our perspective, let's be honest, is a bit more ER than Tigger. Yeah, this wisdom comes from sandwiched between Timothy and Titus in the book of Milne, um, little known book. Uh, but no, sometimes our perspective is right. What do you want to be? Are you going to be Tigger or are you going to be Eeyore? I know Tigger's a bit irritating at times, <laughs> but we'll forgive him that. But so we're meant to be living victorious, joyful lives. And I just, I'm sorry, but our, our victory doesn't mean everything difficult falls away from us. And this is our, again, this is how we, our perspective gets it wrong. Yeah, our perspective gets it wrong because we, we read victory through the gospel as, well, there you go, everything's going to be all right and every prayer's going to get answered and life's going to go swimmingly and I'm going to breeze through. And I'm sorry, but that's, that's immaturity speaking. Ouch, sorry. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, but what it really means, the victory, the joy, is the victory of the cross. In Jesus overcoming death. That's your victory. That's the victory you can carry every day. Jesus died and set to set you free from sin, that you have eternal life. That's your victory. And I can't promise all the other victories you'd like, but I can promise that victory. 
that's the victory you've got to live every day. And when you don't feel victorious because you're not winning and the prayer won't answered, actually, you're saved by grace for an eternal place in heaven with a Father who loves you. And from that victory, that's your wellspring of joy. And that joy should become so part of your character. Van is the epitome of that, isn't he? That joy should become so part of your character that it infects others. You know, everyone else is like, yeah, Bancoli, go. And I'm going, oh, I've got to go up next. <laughs> Thanks, Bancoli, for being ace. <laughs> but no, it, it just bursts forth, doesn't it? And it's the joy of the victory of Christ, the knowledge of it, and it's overwhelming, and it passes, and it spreads amongst others. Because he is a gospel-shaped life. He has a gospel-shaped heart, a gospel-shaped mind, and a gospel-shaped character. And it is so recognizable that it affects his life. And because it affects his life, it overflows into our lives. And that's how we're called to live. And Christmas is just here to remind us of it. So do we? Do we conform to the gospel? How much do we conform to the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 8. Paul talks about the gospel in verse 3. He says, For I passed on to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. What Paul says, the cross and Jesus' death is of first importance. We forget that. Who's mentioned that this morning? We forget. We forget things. We forget the simple things. And then later on, the New Testament talks about the gospel in other ways. We, we get reference to the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of his son, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel of peace. You know, but all this is achieved through Jesus. It brings salvation. It establishes his kingdom. It's going to bring peace to your life, but it should expand. The gospel is God's total plan to redeem his people. And we need to carry it. It should affect our actions. Revelations 14, 6 to 7. It's always fun, a scripture from Revelations, isn't it? Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment have come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Fear him, recognize his authority and power. That's part of a gospel-shaped life. Recognize the authority and power of God in your life. Give him glory, worship him. Recognize his power and authority and praise and honor him. That's a gospel-shaped life. Are we living a gospel-shaped life? Or are we doing church? Yeah, it's how we conform to the gospel, understand the victory and joy of Christ's death and resurrection. Is it easy? It sounds easy, doesn't it? It sounds real simple and straightforward, but is it easy? It's not, is it? Thanks, Sandra. No, it's not. Why? Because our hearts are hardened. Human hearts are hardened. But 1 Thessalonians 1.5 tells us, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You see, it's hard, but God's going to help us with something as simple as believe that I died for you 
and let that change your life. It's simple, but it's rock hard. But God says, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to equip you, and I'm going to equip you with the Holy Spirit. Right, next picture. Where's this? Oh, boom, you were all there straight away. Durham, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm old school, sorry, bits of paper. Andrew went, look at you. Like, everyone's like, all like newfangled <laughs> stuff. Like, paper, pen. Uh, it is Durham. Okay, so Durham Cathedral. So the walls of Durham Cathedral, they're not solid. You look at these old buildings like that, you think that must be a massive piece of stone. How thick is that piece of stone that, that forms the wall of Durham Cathedral? Well, actually, there's an outer skin of bricks, of dressed stone. All right, six to nine inches thick that's on the outside that faces you. On the inside, there's another similar skin of bricks. Again, another six to nine inches. All right, both dressed stone. And inside, there's about, uh, oh, I can't do it, five and a half, there you go, just assume that's five and a half. Five and a half feet cavity. And the cavity is just filled with rubble. It's just filled with bits of, bits of rock, bits of hardcore. And at the time when it was built, uh, a very sort of gloopy mortar that was poured in. And I thought, well, sometimes, let's be honest, we don't feel that victorious. Yeah? Sometimes we feel like we're not doing very well. Sometimes we feel like we're getting it wrong. No, I know not Bancoli. He's gliding. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes, don't we just feel like we're not, we're not getting there. And we want to be there, and we want to be there yesterday. Yeah? yeah? We want to be there yesterday. We feel like this sometimes, just a pile of rubble with a thin skin of dressed stone, a thin veneer of, of Christianity. We feel like, what was it, Formica? Do you remember that? That's a blast from the past, yeah? Chipboard with a tiny bit of thing that makes it look like uh, wood. You know, we have this veneer and we feel a bit inadequate, yeah, as Christians. Yeah, we feel a bit inadequate. But there's something really remarkable at work here because this gloopy mortar that was poured in, because it was uh, sort of bounded on either side by the dressed stone, it didn't dry straight away. It took 40 years to dry. And over 40 years, the whole structure of Durham Cathedral sagged and settled as the mortar dried. Now, again, do we feel a bit saggy? Do we feel sometimes we're just <laughs> settling? We're a bit deformed. We're a little bit out of shape. I'm encouraging you all this morning. But you know, there's, there's something absolutely amazing and remarkable going on here. Because when it was originally built, the builders built all the horizontal door jams, lintels, and other names that you give to horizontal features. Pete will know them. <laughs> Built them all at slight acute angles because they had the foresight to know that over the next 40 years, this building's going to settle. This building's going to sag. This building's going to move. And by 40 years later, every joint had settled into perfect alignment. That is smart. Well smart. What foresight. What dedication to perfection those builders had. So if 
when I asked you a few minutes ago if you felt a bit saggy and wonky, that's fine. Because God's got time. And God's going to let you sag. And he's going to let you settle. Because he's got a plan of perfect alignment for you. And we want it now. And we want it yesterday. And God says, I'm, I'm doing it. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us. You see, the word workmanship is the present continuous tense. It's an ongoing act. So don't be disappointed with you. I'm not there. Okay, allow God time to work on you. Allow God time to finish his workmanship and to bring you into alignment, to shape your life to his gospel and to make you perfect. Yeah, you've got to trust his design. You've got to trust his plan. You've got to trust his skill. What do we? When you're feeling saggy, do you trust it? Or do you, are you frustrated by it? You know, it's hard, isn't it, submission to God? No? Let's be honest, it is, isn't it? Next picture, please, Rebecca. Where's this? Niagara Falls. Incredibly famous waterfall. You can spot it straight away from the shape. You recognise the shape. Um, and it's been surrounded over recent years by the trappings of tourism. There's... there's there's activities, there's uh, facilities that all are based around the shape of the falls. There's a dependency on the shape, actually. The, the whole economy of the area depends upon maintaining that shape. Uh, and it is a wonder of nature. 100,000 cubic feet of water every second crash over the edge of the falls. The highest flow rate in all of the USA. But it's only half what should be happening. Because they siphon off another 100,000 cubic feet per second. Up at the top, you can see like a barrier up there. Siphon half the flow of the river away to not go over the falls. Why? Because they want to create electricity from it. Because they want to do this with it, that with it. Ish. The reason they want to do it is because they know that if they let the fall power of the water go over the falls that shape's disappearing because waterfalls are meant to move they're meant to change they're meant to revolve and as they are reshaped they, they move well all that trappings of human activity that are surrounded it they can't afford for it to move they're comfortable with where it's at they're comfortable with the shape their lives have been built around that shape and depend upon that shape. So they've changed the force of nature to maintain the status quo. What would it look like if we let the full power? What a sight it would be. Are we a little bit like that? Do we limit the power of God in our lives due to our lack of engagement? Because being shaped fully by the gospel might really change things. Might really demand that what we've become dependent on, we're going to have to rethink. So we engage partly. But there's a fullness to God. There's a fullness to God's gospel that is going to change your life if you let it.
Titus chapter 1, Paul is telling Titus that he's got to appoint elders in each town. Why? Because they want the gospel to spread. And he says, the, and he says find people, basically, who will receive the gospel and then who will understand the gospel, commit to the gospel, and then share the gospel. And he says, find these people, find these people, people who are blameless, people who are not overbearing, people who are not quick-tempered, people who are not given to drunkenness, not violent, not dishonest. Find people who are hospitable. Find people who love doing good. Find people who are self-controlled. Find people who are upright, holy, disciplined. Find people who are shaped by the gospel. Find people whose character, whose heart, whose mind has been shaped by the gospel. Because these are the people who are going to cause the gospel to spread. Why? Because people see their character. They see that their life is different. They see that they are being shaped by the presence and the power of God. And they go, we want some of that. We are gospel shaped and it will, it will transform your life. But it will transform the lives of others. And that's our responsibility. That's our responsibility. 1 Timothy 4, 9 to 10. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men and especially those who believe. Say, I accept the gospel. But then it goes on uh, in verse 12. To set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. We should be shaped by the gospel, established by the gospel so that others can witness it. Wilberforce said, there are four things we ought to do with the word of God. Admit it as the word of God. Commit it to our hearts and our minds. Submit to it and transmit it to the world. The gospel should shape our character so we can shape the world around us. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your character is, there your heart is. There's your treasure. You know, when we're shaped by the gospel, we put our eyes on him, and look, we're implored here, what does that mean? It says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. The English translation here really doesn't capture the force of do not. The Greek does so much more justice to that. It's a strong command. Do not store up treasures on earth. Being shaped by the gospel is about not being worldly minded, but by allowing heaven's eternity to establish your happiness and your joy. How much of our energies do we devote to providing for our life here? When God is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Expend your energies on eternal treasures, on developing the character of the gospel that equips you for life in heaven and which others see, which brings them into eternity too. Which said, fix your eyes on eternal treasure. Fix your eyes on developing the character of the kingdom. Take that away this morning. That's what I want you to do. Fix your eyes on developing the character of the kingdom. Let the gospel shape your life. The scripture talks about moth 
and rust. Okay, the moth. Here you go. The, the tinea genus. It was a cloth moth. And actually, here, the, when it says destroy, the, the, the Greek is aphanazai, which means to disappear or to render unapparent. Moth and rust will render what you treasure, of your worldly treasures, as unapparent. They will disappear. They are of nothing. And sometimes we spend too much time on the things that don't matter eternally. The moth, what it does is it, we shoo them, and, the, and this is, I think, is a lesson. We shoo moths away, yeah? See the moth, shoo it away. It's not the moth that does the damage. The moth lands, the moth, uh, the moth. <laughs> it's at a concert. Um, the, the moth lays eggs. You can shoo the moth away. All right? It's indirectly harmful. Okay, but the eggs hatch. The larvae eat the cloth as they grow. And what you place your value in is eaten away from the inside out. It's the legacy of the moth that destroys. And sometimes we can even, you know, we allow bits of the world to become too important. And then we go, right, no, I'm pushed that away now. But sometimes there's a legacy that needs dealing with that, that can still eat away days, weeks, years later. You know, so that's why repentance is so important. Yeah? So you get it right. You disinfect those clothes and you kill those eggs. You know? And rust. Bibrosko. There you go. Sounds more Russian than Greek. But anyway. Uh, it means to be eaten away. You know? The moth eats from the inside out. The rust eats from the outside in. You know? But if we aspire to kingdom thinking as we meditate on the gospel, as we grasp the gospel, as we choose to develop the character. That's never subject to decay. It's an eternal treasure. Mirroring the heart of the Father. Gives us, as Ephesians 3.8 would talk about, the unsearchable riches of Christ. As 1 Timothy talks us about rich in good deeds and generosity, it changes our character. And that's not subject to moth and rust. Character is eternity established in your heart. A gospel-shaped character is eternity established in your heart. And a heartful character will attract others to the gospel. Here endeth the lesson. Let's, let's, let's just stand and pray for a moment. 1 Timothy 4, 11 16 offers, I think, the best advice. Essentially, it breaks down to this. Receive the gospel. Guard the gospel. Model the gospel. Teach the gospel. Father God, we just submit to you. Father God, we repent of the times that we let earthly treasures capture our thoughts. Father God, we repent at the times where we become too familiar with the gospel. Father God, where we lose the wonder of your victory. Father God, we repent at the times that we become downcast and downhearted because we don't feel our needs are being met. We don't feel that you're winning for us. 
but you did win for us, God. You won it all for us on the cross. When you died, you gave everything on the cross, Jesus, to place eternity in our hearts. Father God, let our character be shaped by that victory, by that joy. And Father God, may the, may the knowledge of your goodness, may the knowledge and understanding of your great love for us shape our lives, shape our hearts, shape our mind, shape our character that we truly live as people of the gospel. And that, Lord, in being a person of the gospel, we change the lives of those around us. Father God, we, we submit to your truth. Just take a moment, and in prayer, just look God in the eyes now. Look God straight in the face and if you know him submit again if you feel that you've grown jaded that you've taken your eyes off the truth of his victory maybe you take a moment just to speak to him Recommit your heart to him. Recommit your heart to his truth. Recommit to squashing the, the larvae of the moth and rust that would destroy from fixing our heart on the worldly things we feel are important. And fix our eyes on his truth. And say, God, I want a, I want a heart full of eternal character I want to be shaped by the gospel of the character of the gospel shaped by the gospel let my character be shaped and if you don't know Jesus if this morning you sat here and you think I've never committed my heart to this now's an opportunity just between you and him just to go the, the victory of the cross victory of the cross Jesus you died for my sins for all I've done wrong you say it right repent in your heart accept his truth and begin a journey to a to an eternity to a life being shaped by the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ keep that eyes closed I felt this was relevant for someone many many years ago I taught a student uh, and she had underneath a jar an open wound and she wore a dressing over it uh, and she, she had it for years and the doctors couldn't work out what it was and they couldn't couldn't understand where it was coming from or why it was there and she felt really self-conscious to have this big dressing on her face and 
stewards didn't want to sit next to her in lessons because there was a there was a, there was a smell associated with the open wound, and she felt a bit isolated. And then one day she came and she said, "It's gone." dressing was gone and the wound was closing and I said well what was it and she said well I went to the dentist and they took a tooth out and they found beneath the tooth there was an abscess and the abscess had just slowly eaten away and it had eaten away through a jaw and through a flesh and literally just the, 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 the badness was just dripping out and it left a wound that was open and I just feel that this morning someone's got an open wound. And all that happened was the tooth removal enabled them to deal with the abscess and the wound was healed. And this morning, I think that's a message for someone. I think there's something that you just want to give to God. There's something you need to give to God. There's something that's eating away inside. And it infects how you think and how you feel. It affects how others are around you. Or that's how you see it. And God's saying, I'm happy to deal with that this morning. I'm happy to remove that. I'm happy to lance that. I'm happy to cleanse that. And where you felt an open wound, I'm going to heal it all. And no one's ever going to know it was there. And broader than that, I just want to finish with just a few lyrics. Because you all know my love of jazz of clay as a band. They were amazing. And these are lyrics that I think the gospel wants to bring. And again, I think each line's for somebody. All I want is peace like a river. Long life of sanity. Love that won't leave too soon. Do you need peace this morning? Just ask God now. Today's the morning he's going to deliver. Do you want a long life of sanity? Do you feel like everything's a bit crazy around you at the minute? Thing like everything's just buzzing around and you're trying to swirl around and hold on to something and it keeps slipping out your hands do you need love that's not going to leave have you got a heart that's loved and lost and been let down do you need love that won't leave too soon next line's my favourite all I want is someone to pull out the splinters you got some splinters that need pulling you got some splinters of hair or disappointment or of one whatever because there's a God who's going to who says I'll, I'll pull them out for you you don't have to leave them in there because they're annoying splinters aren't they they hurt a bit but they're frustrating the last line say reckless forgiver I'd leave it all for you you've got a reckless forgiver this morning
a reckless forgiver this morning. Nothing you've said or done is too much for him to deal with Come this on. morning. Nothing. A reckless forgiver. Wants to set you free this morning from shame, from sin, from disappointment. A reckless forgiver has turned his heart to you. Trust my gospel. Take hold of my gospel. It's truth. And it's truth for you. Amen.